Welcome to Radio Rehab. If you are just tuning in for the first time, we are a daily show where I have a guest on all week and we talk about all things recovery. This week, we are throwing back to some favorite interviews from our first year. These are listener favorites. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Sex and drugs and rock and roll is all my brain and body need. Welcome to another episode of Radio Rehab The Relapse. I'm Dana here in studio with producer Shar. And today we have four special guests. Today's today's episode is on young people in recovery. You might be wondering why, how and why do young people get clean and sober? So we have Andrew, who is 18 years old. Yes. And uh, how long have you been clean, Andrew? Um, since January 15th of 2015, so that's about a year and a little bit of change. Nice. And we have Caitlin, who is 20 years old. And how long have you been clean? Uh, over a year. And we have Justin, who is 27. And how long have you been clean? 13 months. And we have Jenna, who is 24. And how long have you been clean? I've been clean for 13 months also. Look at this. This is crazy. So let's, I want to get to know each, each of you a little bit uh, before we open up the show and start talking about what we're going to talk about. So um, we'll start with you. We'll just go in order. We'll start with you, Andrew. So you're 18 years old. I am. <laughs> and you've been clean for over a year. Yes. Um, just tell me a little, what was your drug of choice, first of all? Um, I was kind of a trash can, so whatever I could get my hands on, but mostly it was pills, um, downers opiates that type of deal and when you when you decided to get clean was it your choice or was it something that your family decided the first time I tried to get clean when I was 15 um, it was my parents and then it kind of led me to a place like where I knew I needed to get clean or it was like a life or death situation Um, and then I knew exactly where to go so the second time around which is this time is uh, been my choice so you had already so the seed had been planted basically from last time and yeah. and then you kind of knew it was there. Exactly. Yeah, that that happened for me. Unfortunately, it was like way too many times to count, but <laughs> and I've been like it's like I really have to have the fight kicked out of me. Like I just have to become paralyzed by something to get the point. But so now you have over a year clean and you look completely healthy. I mean, Thank you look first of all, you look 25, but so you're healthy, you're feeling great and you're working a program obviously. Yes. So here we have Caitlin, who's 20. <laughs> okay, Caitlin, oh, what was your drug of choice? Ooh, um, mainly weed and alcohol. Um, for free, definitely Coke, Molly. <laughs> I was that type for of person. For free, it right. Was for free. I wasn't going to go out of my way and like spend money on that. that was, no, that wasn't Good. <laughs> OP drugs, yeah. Yeah. And uh, was this the first time you've been clean, or did you did you try before? Um. So technically, yeah, this is my first time getting clean and like seriously like getting clean before I tried for a little bit, but it wasn't just because like just to be sober. I did it just I wanted some, I don't know, some clarity and like study and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know, I decided that I was happy and that I could go ahead and do what I wanted to do. And, you know, it brought me back down the hill. Right, faster than the last time, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So when you decided to get clean, it was your decision because it kind of brought you to your knees? Or was there a little help, a little push from your parents? Or- um, I definitely, you know, got clean because of my mom. You know, I saw the pain that she was feeling. And to see her cry every day that, like, 
destroyed me inside. You know, I never wanted to bring my family that much pain ever. Wow, that's so cool. I mean, that's so cool of you. You know, a lot of us get that and we see that and then we keep going because we can't, you know what I mean? It's like my my least favorite story and the saddest one is when I was kicking one time, I was dope sick and I stole my parents' car and my mom tried to stand behind me and backing out of the driveway and I just put my head on the window and said, mom, I'm not going to stop. I can't. And my dad, who was also an addict, but he was in recovery, was like, get away from the car. You know, it was like, that was my choice was it was like, we're drugs over everything. Yeah. You know, like physical pain over everything. I think that's really commendable and awesome that you were able to see that kind of pain in your family's eyes and stop. I think that's beautiful. Thank you. Justin, what was your drug of choice? I like cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) I like cocaine and alcohol a lot. Right. As Robin Williams said, cocaine's a hell of a drug. Yeah. So I think because I've known you, I think I, you had like a history, you relapsed a couple times, right? You had been in and out of the rooms a little bit. I tried to get sober one time and I relapsed after a year. But, oh. Yeah, but it was always highly suggested for me to definitely check out the rooms. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So I have a very similar background to you in that my dad was in recovery and he got clean and sober when I was 11 years old. So I kind of, which makes using really hard yep. when you have to face them and they know it. <laughs> and, uh, you know. They can smell it a mile away. It, for, the thing is, it's like it, it probably eats them up more than anything in the world, but they really have to play tough. Yeah, dude. My mom could tell I was loaded by my MySpace statuses. <laughs> oh, my God. Can, I can't imagine. I can't imagine if back, back in, in my day, you know, in, in the 20s when I was growing up. Like, I can't, no, I can't imagine if my, if my parents could, like, look at my MySpace status or something like that. That's... Wow. Yeah, like, Justin, are you loaded? No, then why is your jaw shirt swinging off its hinge? <laughs> yeah. Well, that from seeing you, but I mean, mm. your MySpace status, was it what you wrote, kind yeah. of? So she's like, that doesn't sound like a sober thing to write. In the hour I would write it at. <laughs> oh, like, right. Justin posted a MySpace bulletin at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. And of course, she's looking at it because you're a kid. Yeah. She's watching it. So you you had had a year. How old were you when you had that year before? It was last year. Oh, it was last year. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like a long time ago. No. So the relapse was probably short, I guess. Yeah, it was a it was about a month long relapse. And then you just realized, like, I don't want to be doing this anymore. I ran out of cocaine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I'm gonna go ahead and assume if it was replenished, you wouldn't start back again. It didn't happen that way, and I'm, I'm glad well, it didn't. I'm glad it didn't too. <laughs> Jenna, who's 24, what was your drug of choice? Uh, meth, but alcohol was my first and my last love. Okay. Okay, gotcha. And is this your first time uh, to the rodeo, as they say, or did you try to get clean sober before? Uh, No, this is my third time getting sober. The first time I came into the rooms, I was uh, 15, and I had just gotten, uh, or I was about 16 or 17, and I had just gotten my first DUI. And that, like, I was, like, not done after that. (laughs) So, basically, it was the court sending you. It was when you get the DUI, and then you have to go to those, like, SR-22 classes, and then they make you do, they make you do AA. Yeah, they have me sign off on a sheet, which was not cool. But, I mean, my aunt's in the program, and she has, like, 30-plus years. So, like, she was, like, if you need help, like, I can take you places. And I was always just, like, no, I'm not ready. Like, this is stupid. I'm only 17 years old. I still have, like, things to do. Right. I still have, like, things to wreck. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But that's so cool of her, and I know that's the way it's suggested, is that you're not supposed to push the program on on them. You're just supposed to let them know it's here. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I think it even says that, like, in the books. It's like, 
So that's the right way to do it. And obviously that worked because you knew you had a place to go. Mm-hmm. So when you finally did it, so it was like, what, your third, fourth time trying when you, this time? Yeah, this is my third time. And what what would you say, um, Did was, were there any put, any nudge or push from anybody this time or was it? Well, I, I ended up going to an event with a lot of young people and I was kind of sort of forced to go. And I'm so happy I went because I don't know if I would have like stayed clean and sober had I not gone. Was it a recovery event? Yeah, it was it was huge. It was just a bunch of like young people and they're all clean and sober. And like, had I not had that fellowship like introduced to me, I don't really know if I would have stayed. That's so cool. That's really cool. So you came and you saw and you saw something interesting and then you ended up staying for your recovery. Yeah, I just felt like a part of something for once. And like I had never had that before, like feeling accepted and belonged. And like all these people knew exactly what I went through on a daily basis was just incredible to me. That is so incredibly cool because I'm thinking, you know, that's that seems to be a concern is I think a lot of young people probably go, well, what about my friends? But you found this whole new group of friends doing the, the sobriety thing. Well, I had like friends that were already doing that and they had like seen the way I was acting and they were like, you should probably stop. But <laughs> yeah. like they, they stayed my friends through it. And because of that, like I was able to get clean and sober and have like a good core group of friends throughout my entire sobriety. Like if I hadn't if I hadn't gone to that event, I really don't know where my life would have been. That's so cool. That's really good that that happened. So as Jenna brought up the, the friendship thing. So this is kind of, this is probably something that a lot of people want wonder about young people. So when you're using, you obviously have a group of friends. Unless you, you know, unless you're doing it alone, like smoking crack behind a dumpster like I was. <laughs> <laughs> like I had no friends. But, you know, it's like if you have a group of friends, you know, they say you kind of, you got to change everything. So I just want to ask, so... Let's ask each one of you, how was your friend situation uh, changed, starting with Andrew? So when you came in, did you have to did you have to get rid of a lot of friends? Did you have to change your friends? Um, so when I was actively using and loaded, I um, obviously had a supply for my habit. And the easiest way to do that is to sell stuff that isn't legal. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so through that process, I've kind of lost a lot of genuine friends. They're like, oh, you have a problem and you're causing a lot of wreckage around like all the people you're around. So I ended up... Having not really any friends, um, I went to rehab and I had 300 texts after after I got out of rehab, and three of them were to hang out. All the other weren't for there for someone to get something out of me. Oh so, wow! So, 300 yeah, texts. It was. It, was um, it kind of opened my eyes to see after being sober for 30 days um, and coming out. Um, but yeah, I got introduced to the fellowship that Jenna was talking about. I went to the same event. And um, I met people like Justin and like Evan and uh, well, he's not here, but he's one of my other best friends. And um, there are people who will have my back through anything and they're genuine and they will uh, call me out when I'm not doing the right thing. And um, it's amazing, you know, just the genuine um, common ground you can come from. So you, know? you kind of came in realizing you didn't really have any true friends yeah. where out when you were, you know, drinking and using and then you found a new group of friends who were actually cared about you. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a draw to the program. That's really cool. Caitlin, um, what about you when you came in? Was there a group of friends you had to get away from? Um, No, actually, my friends were really supportive. They visited me in rehab and, you know, they always had that constant contact with me. Um, When I 
moved back, it like because I was going to school in Santa Barbara, so I moved back to the Bay Area, which was kind of difficult for me. I have a few friends that are still there that I grew up with, and they love me to death. But I had, you know, friends that I was really close with my senior year of high school, and they acted completely different towards me. You know, I when I first saw them, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm clean, like, blah, blah. blah. And they're like, oh, <laughs> Oh, like you were a buzzkill or like they didn't want to hear about it or they they just didn't really care. You know, they just right. They you know, it was one of those things where they just felt different towards me. And I had one where they like kind of wanted to um, be cool again, but they weren't they didn't really completely go through with it. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, okay, so and you you were talking about Santa Barbara. I've heard that's kind of like all people do there is get loaded and party. I mean, is that true? Oh, yeah. For the most part? Oh, yeah, okay. definitely. It, okay. was, it was an everyday thing. Like, I'd go to the library and try to study, and I'd be on my way back to my dorm, and I was really cool with uh, a few people from this frat house. I was right next to the library, and I'd just be passing by, and they'd be hanging out, like, on the front stoop, and they'd be like, oh, Kaylin, come hang out with us. And I'm like... Whatever, I deserve it. Let's do it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's yeah. That's one thing about Santa Barbara is like, because for me, I lived in Los Angeles when I was your age, and it was harder to drink. And, you know, it was easier to do drugs because I, I would get carded everywhere when I tried to drink. But Santa Barbara, it's basically like, no matter who you are, there's a frat house, and they'll get you drunk, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you did kind of, you did have to do a little bit of relocating moving up here. Is that kind of why you're up here in the Bay Area? Um, I relocated because my parents weren't going to, like, there's, like, I can't afford it, you know, and it is a, like, what, I'm trying to word this right, um, you know, it's one of those things where we're going to be worried about you 24-7, and if you're here, we're going to know what you're doing, and... Oh, your parents are up here. Yeah. Oh, okay, 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 that makes sense. Yeah, so they wanted you to be closer to them so that they can kind of, not keep an eye on you, but keep an eye on you. Yeah. Right. And knowing that that was kind of where you were doing your running was in Santa Barbara, so. Yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty frequent up here, too, especially, like, my senior year of high school. I was doing a lot of running around, and they, had, they still had no idea where I was or what I was doing because I'd lie to them constantly. Right. But um, they still have an eye on me, especially because I live with my family. Okay, that's that's cool. That's good. That's, I mean, because people talk about geographics, you know, in the program, but sometimes there's a good, there's sometimes there's a good reason to leave where you're at. I mean, sometimes it makes sense. It's not like you left there, moved up here, your problems are still here and you're doing the same thing. You're actually yeah. clean and sober now. Yeah. Okay, Justin, what about you? So cocaine was your drug of choice. Yep. And were you doing it with people or were you a loner? Um, I was one of those cokeheads that like shared the coke, but then had like the secret bag of coke for when I got home, which I probably pinched off one of my friend's bags. You right. Know? So, um, uh, friendship is weird for me. Like I had pushed everybody away out there to a point that like when I decided to join the fellowship I'm in now, it was like the only door left to turn. Oh, so, so I you had pushed had a burned lot of every bridge. Yeah. I'd burned a lot of bridges and then, uh. By the time in this fellowship that I was ready to hang out with certain people again and they were ready to let me back in their lives, I uh, they gave me a chance to hang out with them and I hung out with them and it turned out without like me on the drugs or the alcohol, I had literally nothing in common with these people anymore. Wow. I a select few people like the dudes in my band or whatever, but like outside of that, like 
I have like we just don't have a common bond anymore. We've tried to hang out and socialize, and it's just you know not there. Yeah, I know it's it was like that a lot with a lot of the people that I did coke with when I was using too. It was really coke, you know. Yeah, you could talk forever on coke, right? Forever about nothing. I mean, just watching YouTube videos. It's like what were we? You know, I mean, hours, (laughs) hours. But yeah, you see them. There's very few people I knew from back then. I mean, there's actually some of them who aren't in the program but just kind of quit because it was a phase and they're like I don't want to live like that anymore and some of them I actually do have stuff in common with the ones I really don't though are the ones who are just kind of aging and you know hanging yeah. on to the party scene to the drug do you find that you know a lot of people like that yeah I, uh, I definitely surrounded myself with like the lower companionship out there to right. make myself look better than I was which is common which right. is what they say that's very common for right. addicts and then when I got into uh, the fellowship, it was kind of like weird because I'd always surrounded myself with like like physical people that are into the same music and stuff I'm in mm-hmm. too. And then I get into uh, the program and it's kind of like we look like the oddest trio, me yeah. and my two best friends, right? <laughs> like yep. it, one of us has like some weird Portland heroin chic thing going on <laughs> and then the other one looks like a professional bodybuilder and I look like a sucked up tattoo hipster. <laughs> so it's really like... But, you know, we have one common thing in common, right? And that brings us together, so. Yeah. No, that's really cool. I have the same thing. Like, I have a close friend now who I don't know if we even ever would. We probably wouldn't have even used together. I mean, she's very hippie, talks about the goddess, (laughs) you know, and stuff. And it's just like, well, how did I meet you? You But I love her to death. Andrew, like, had brought up before that, like, one time that uh, he was happy we didn't use together because he thought I would have robbed him. (laughs) Or some shit like that. So, I was like, yeah, I probably would have, dude. I know. I you know. I get that a lot when people are saying, God, I wonder what it would have been like if we used together. And I'm thinking, I would have killed you. You know, like, I would have murderized you. You would have killed me. I want to kill you now. He's saying Jenna would have killed him. And she's saying she wants to now. So, Jenna, same question for you. When you came into recovery, what, did you have friends? Or had you burned all your bridges? Or what, did you have to cut people off, I guess? Um... The second time I tried to get sober, I definitely had to eliminate some people from my life only because I was so heavily into doing meth that like I couldn't, there's no way I could have hung out with those same people at all. Um, But over the years, I've developed um, people that don't have problems with drugs and alcohol that are like normal people. And they've been my friend through the entire thing. Like when I wanted to quit drinking, they like supported me 100% and we're still friends. But there were points in my disease that like I had to cut people off. And it's weird now because actually my drug dealers in the same fellowship I am. So it's like it's like a weird a weird turn of events where like, oh, wow. So did, was there was there anything uncomfortable there or did you? Um, when I first got sober, yeah, because I had just seen how he treated us like his not, I guess, clientele, I guess. But I never paid for anything. So it's not right. like I was a paying customer. But like <laughs> he um, just the way he treated people was just terrible. And like I really didn't want any part of that. But um, getting used to seeing him in places, I mean, it's. It's casual, I guess. I yeah. mean, I'm happy for him. He has he has some time now, and it's just like it's just weird. I I know. I can imagine that's totally uncomfortable. There's the whole yeah. like forgiveness thing. I mean, depending on yeah, what happened, and that had to yeah, I had to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, and knowing that guy is probably gonna have to make a lot of amends. Assuming yeah, assuming he's working a program. 
Yeah, I went to a meeting not too long ago, and there was somebody talking about being um, like sexually abused by someone who is now in the rooms and dealing with forgiveness. And I was like, I don't know if I could ever be that big. <laughs> That's working a serious program. But yeah, it's like you don't know who you're going to run into in these rooms. And it's like once we're all in the same rooms, we kind of have to look at each other. Lots of exes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Lots of exes that are coming into recovery? Yep. Okay, you're all nodding, except, except Caitlin. No exes for you. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> so, I mean, well, you guys are, so you guys are in the South Bay. We have a lot of listeners who are in the, in the, on the East Coast. So the South Bay is in the Bay Area. You're from the East Coast? Yep. Oh, right on. Okay. So, well, you could say, what, where well, are you from East the East Bay. Coast? I'm like from oh, East I, Bay, oh, not East oh, Coast. Oh, 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 no. <laughs> so when we say East here, the people yeah. in Boston are going... What do you mean? <laughs> That's so okay. East Bay. No, we so we have a lot of listeners. I'm yanking my headphones with my feet again. We have a lot of listeners on the East Coast who, when I try to explain the Bay Area, so you guys, so you're from the East Bay, but you guys are pretty much in the South Bay area now. Yeah. And would you say like, so dealing with exes? First of all, let's go with that. Are there? So you come into the rooms, you get you're clean and sober, and now here comes somebody you used to date. But you're supposed to be working a problem. How does that work, starting with Andrew, who seems to be the most to say about it? What's up, Andrew? Am, am I allowed yeah, to speak, pass? Speak in the way. <laughs> no, now we really want to hear it. Um, <laughs> My mom's listening. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you're doing great. Me and Caitlin, uh, it's, it's complicated. Yeah. Um, we're together now, which is cool. But uh, breakups um, while sober. That's basically the question, right? Yes. Speaking um, of <laughs> so they're hard because you know I used I I drank and I used drugs to fill that to fill any kind of feeling that I didn't like. And what happens when you don't have that drug to fill that feeling? Right. Um, and it's it's um I went through this recently. So <laughs> oh, you did. You went through. You also went through yeah. you went yeah. through a breakup. I love that this is so funny to everyone else. Okay, so you went through a breakup recently, and this person. You too broke up. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, so let me just let the listeners in on this. Evidently, Andrew and Caitlin, who are together, right? They're together now. Yeah. They're together now. You okay? This is very interesting. So Andrew and Caitlin, who are together now, have broken up since they've been in recovery and then gotten back together. Yes. Okay. Aww. So, but but obviously, <laughs> that was from Jenna. Okay. So obvi- so obviously, you guys worked through things. But the other thing is, you guys had to. You guys go to the same meetings. I take it. Or do you? Yeah, a lot of the time, yes. So the relationship ends, and you guys are going to the same meetings and seeing each other. Oh, I definitely didn't go to the same meetings. Oh, you those. didn't? Okay. No. Okay, so you made sure to kind of take a, take some space. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of... I was going to meetings in Santa Cruz, 30 minutes away. <laughs> going know, everywhere and, you can go to not see that person. And yeah, I didn't want to face my fears. You know, I had a really big fear of seeing her, and um, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. And I had fears around a lot of things. And um, when I stood up to that and actually I got to talk things out um, with her, it was a huge sigh of relief. And um, I felt comfortable. And we both put some work in and uh, we figured out, or at least I figured out, like I'm happiest with her. So that's why I'm Yeah. That's really cool. That's really cool. And Caitlin, <laughs> she's she's making goo-goo eyes at you now. So, she's very blessed. So was it as hard for you, too, or did you did you change your scene when you guys, or were you still going to the same meetings knowing that he wasn't? So I live like 45 minutes away from Andrew, and I focused a lot on staying in the meetings in my area. 
I would also text Justin and ask him if Andrew was going to those meetings because I did want to give him his, his space. And it was hard for me. It was hard for me to see him. And going to the meeting that we made up at, they asked me, like, oh, like, I want you to come up and speak. And I just was so completely, like, oh, you terrified. had to go speak? Well, they asked me to just, like, just, like have touch on a subject. Okay. And I was just completely overcome with fear. And that was the topic, was fear. Oh, fear, right. Yeah. So I was just like, well, this is awkward. Uh, Andrew's here. And uh. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about this stuff and you're having fears about the person who, and he's in the room. Yeah. Yeah. That must have been really difficult. I take it you guys both have sponsors. Yes. Okay, good. So I'm sure, so your sponsors kind of helped you work through that? Yeah. Um, I definitely asked her when we first got back together, um, what is something that I should talk to him about? And one of the things was, you know, separately write down what each part, like our, what my part was. So kind of do a fourth step on it. Kind of, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's really cool because it's like you each have somebody with experience to talk to. Who can help you go through this? Because now all of a sudden, like Andrew was saying, the drugs and alcohol are gone. And now you have breakup, which is a really crappy feeling to have. You're going through breakup feelings and you can't stuff the feelings and you're sitting there with them. Oh, yeah. Like the first breakup I went through in um, in sobriety, I was in the like in the in the grocery store with my cousin's fiance and I just started crying. And I was like, I don't get this. I don't get emotions. This is weird. Like, I don't get how people, like, sober can deal with this. This is making yeah. me uncomfortable. Like, and you're just like, it's okay. Just buy ice cream and I'll get it for you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> ice cream. Try this addiction. <laughs> I know. It's like there's just feelings. You'll move through them. But, you know, a lot of people go out over that. And I just want to commend you guys on the fact that you went through that pain and you stayed sober. I mean, that's that's the first thing people go out on is relationships. I know. I mean, I know people who have three years and they won't get into a relationship because they're so scared to death that when something goes wrong, because knowing them, it will with the specific people I'm talking about, it'll go wrong. They don't know how they're going to get through it. And I hate to say that, but I mean, some people just aren't cut out for relationships. But I mean, I think that's really commendable that you guys were able to do that and then stay in the rooms. Thank you. And thank you for being so honest about that. So, Justin, since you were the one who brought up the whole thing about exes in the rooms, <laughs> I'm just wondering what you have to say about it. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I have a broken picker. <laughs> I do, too. My yeah. first sponsor told me that. I do, too. Um, Badly. I had a really bad relationship in it, uh, the program I'm in, and it was like a rock tumbler. And I came out smooth. But her not so much. So, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> was this this time or was it the last <laughs> time? This was this time. Right. You know, it was just a really unhealthy relationship. We started the relationship when we were both really new. Uh-huh. And it was kind of like it started unhealthy and it ended unhealthy. Who would have thought, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But was one of those things where you made each other your higher powers? She was my higher power okay. for sure. Right. For sure. A. a. Right. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. Good. That no, that's totally cool. I, that you can be honest and admit that. Through the breakup, I think I did more growth after, like post breakup, than I had done previously working the program I'm working. That is so amazing. You're obviously working a huge program because that's so amazing that you could see that. Yeah. I mean, because that's when you really have to work your program and you show what you're made of is either when somebody close to you dies, 
or you go through a breakup. And you get the craziest advice in the program post-breakup, right? Like, I had half my <laughs> dude friends, like, just go on a spree, dude. <laughs> like, just <laughs> replace it, right? And then I had, like, I had sponsor dude going, that's going to feel really empty and stupid. <laughs> yeah. So it was like a conscience battle, you know? And I'm glad I followed the advice that I did because it was, like, it was a different, it's a different way than I would have normally taken. And it, it worked out for me in the long run. Right. What about what about you, Jenna? Um, <laughs> I don't. I mean, I came in like already like seeing someone. Was this a a, a normie? A quote unquote normie? No, he was a friend that was already in the twelve step program that I'm in. Okay, and uh, that didn't work out because I thought for sure that he was gonna marry me and we were gonna be in love if I got sober. So oh, that's that wow. was like initially what attracted me. But, um, I mean, we're still friends today. Like, yeah. I, have a, I have a boyfriend. We got together w- but pretty much when we were, like, really early in sobriety. And we've been together almost a year now. And, like, it's just – it's worked out for us. Like, we had a conversation when we first got together. Like, look, this could actually work, but we both have to maintain our program and, like, understand that that comes first no matter what. And it's, it's always – it's worked out for us. That's really cool. I mean, because, you know, a lot of people, that's why they say the first, that's why they say the whole no relationships for a year because it takes people down. Some people can't hmm. handle it. But you can as long as you have a sponsor and a higher power who is separate from that person. Yeah. And you just have to have that conversation, too. And, like, I feel like we were both, like, in a similar place where we were both done and, like, we weren't letting anything get in the way of that. And we were just kind of down to be like, okay, well, let's see where this goes. Like, people are telling us not to do it. Like, why don't we just do it? Like, we'll, we'll go our own way. We'll, like, work it out and, like, see what happens. And it's it's worked out so far. So yeah. I don't really have experience with exes in the program. So Well, no, that's good. But you have experience with relationships mm-hmm. in the program and breakups in the program and staying sober. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously you're following the advice of your sponsor. And that's real. No, that's really cool. I, I know from my own personal experience, you're 24. So I was three years younger than you. And I had, there was a guy who I was with and everybody, I think our nicknames were Ricky and Rhonda Relapse. <laughs> in LA Recovery. And really, I didn't find that out till later. I was like, oh God. And it was either Sid and Nancy or Ricky and Rhonda Relapse. But he, he lost his whole entire recovery trying to get me clean. And I know, I mean, I watched that and that's kind of, I see that happen to a lot of people. You know, they'll they'll give up everything they've got. But then I also see people who are strong and they're like, you know, I'm not going to go out just because she did. But it's a hard decision. Yeah, we just didn't want that to be us. Like, we kind of were kind of doing it out of spite. Like, well, screw you. Like, we're going to make it and we're going to be like the best at it. And like we did. That's so cool. <laughs> see, the thing is, you guys are like so much more evolved than other people your age who have no program to work. You know, I don't want to say like anything about normies, like they're not as cool. as. But I'm saying, you know, some people need a 12 step program, but they have no addiction. They need something to fix the crazy, even though you can't fix crazy. But it's like you guys are so much more evolved than other people your age because you have these these steps to work and you have this program to work. Uh, I just want to touch on for a minute. So um, not so much about amends, but how did you guys, how are you able to get back in good graces with your family? Starting with you, Andrew, how are you? Because, you know, we burn our families. Those are the first people we burn because they're, they're closest to us. How, how are you able to repair your relationship with your family? Um, so I have a younger sister and obviously two parents. Um and when I was out there, I blamed a lot. I had a huge resentment against my dad, saying everything was his fault. I used because of him. Um, I became homeless because of him. And 
um, all this stuff and through doing um, steps and um, an inventory and figuring out um, that I had a lot to do with it. I was a like, causer of um, a lot of these negative things going on. Um, it brought me to that immense point you were talking about um, where I got to forgive my dad because the first six of months of my sobriety, I didn't talk to my dad. Um, like I said, I had a huge resentment and I got to uh, say my part and let him know I'm sorry and um, ask how I could make it right. And a I, living I, amends. A living amends. And I, I never cry in front of my dad. He's a crazy rugby ex-military guy. Oh, one of those tough, yeah. <laughs> really those I've seen those father-son relationships. Really yep. tough love guy. And I, uh, I started crying in front of him. And um, it was like, a, like that weight off of my chest where it's, it was beautiful. There's no other way I could oh, put it. Oh, God, and yeah. With my little sister since she's 12. Um, yeah, how'd that go? All I can do is spoil her. And right, because does she really have a memory? I mean, she's 12. Does she have a memory of you, like, she, messing things up? Does she she does. Um, okay. she, I'd come home, and she would, would be scared of me. She wouldn't know how I'd be acting and right. how I'd act out. And now I get to come home and give her a big hug, and she comes in the she runs in the door and sees me and gives me a big hug. And um, sometimes I do her hair before school and drop oh her off at school. Oh, my God. I, I try to be super I, big brother now. I try to do the next right thing for her. Right. And it's um, it's easier on my conscience, and it's nice like having that sort of relationship that you've repaired with your family, especially when you live with them. <laughs> right. Um, but other than that, um, my family life's going really well. That's really cool. What about your mom? I, I'm I'm assuming moms. It's always the hardest. I mean, I, I can tell your dad was probably the hardest for you, but I mean for her watching you go through this it was probably the hardest on her was there any amends or was she kind of like you don't need to make an amends to me because you're sober and I'm so happy was it kind of that situation or I I did make an amends um it was hard for me because I owed her a financial amends I stole from her um right but she's kind of been in and out of using and she actually just went to a meeting oh um, she's in recovery oh she's not I, in recovery but she's, but kind she's of one just, of us yes okay I see and um, I might be breaking her anonymity, but well, you're not because we don't know her name. Okay, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> we don't even know who you're talking about. Um, but yeah, she went to she went to her first meeting, and it's um, she's seen what it's done for me in my life, and how I'm acting towards all my other peers and my family members. And she, I don't know if she wanted that or saw that she knew she had a place to go. Um, but yeah, our relationships it's it's working. It's working. So you've been able to kind of be an example of how the program works so that she can see what it does to people's lives. I wouldn't say an example. I'm not the best example all the time, you know. Um Well she could see that you're happier and you're different. She can see that I'm happier and she can see that when I have something rough going on in my life that I have um some sort of tool or some way to some way to deal with it. And yeah. That's so amazing. That's the greatest gift you can give to anybody. Caitlin, what what about you? How was the amends process? How did you, was your family angry with you? And how were you able to get them back in your good graces? So my family wasn't angry at, mm -hmm. angry at me. They understood completely. Uh, when I made, I made my amends to my dad on Father's Day. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I thought, because I've made amends to him before, um, like in a different program and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that time we, he cried. This time it was like, oh, no, it's okay. I understand completely. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that Thanks, was it. Ben. 
love you. He just made it real easy. Yeah. Um, and then with my mom, she just started bawling, and I'm just like, okay, please stop. I don't like this. I Awkward don't feelings. It. Yeah. Uh, they were totally fine with it completely because, you know, they visited me in rehab and they, to see me go through that, they really noticed a change. And now I'll get random texts from both of them like, I love you. I'm so proud of you. And I can't believe you got this far. That's so great. Yeah. That must feel really good. Oh, my God. It feels amazing. For my one year, they actually took us to uh, the House of Prime Rib. And me and him, he, and um, they met Andrew for the first time. It was the first time. Oh, that was the first time you met her parents? Yes. Best it steak one... I have ever had. That's what I hear. That's why producer Char is all about the House of Prime Rib. Oh, God. It's phenomenal. Hopefully by mentioning them, we can get some free meat. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys doing after this? We'll just do a drop. House of Prime Rib. Um, so... So your parents were basically just so grateful that you were clean and sober that, yeah, because I mean, one thing about when you don't quit when you're young and you keep you keep doing it like I did is your parents are, as my mom said when she dropped me off at a treatment center when I was 24, she said, I'm afraid to hope and I'll never forget that because I let her down so many times, you know, and she just looked at me like she couldn't hope. It's It wasn't like, you're going to do great. It was like, are you going to die after this or, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, when are you done? I feel like like the only way I can make amends to my mom is to somehow really quickly get 10 years sober. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Which can't be done, but... Like, for my mom, like, she'll still text me and be like, oh, my God, I had, like, the worst nightmare that you, like, that you relapsed. Are you okay? And I'm like, I'm good. You're freaking me out a little yeah, bit, Yeah, it's though. like, it's hard enough when we have a drinking or using dream, when somebody else has it about you, which happens to me, too. Like, I don't even get the dreams anymore, but more people get them about me. I'm like, thanks. What yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I get all defensive. <laughs> so, Justin, what about you? Well, how was the amends process like? Because, like I said, I know we both, we have a lot yeah. in common, being that we both have a parent in recovery. It was like a double-edged blade, having a parent in recovery for the amends process, because... Um, with the parent that's in recovery, it was kind of like the living, please just stay sober kind of thing, uh -huh. right? But with the family, it was half the family was like, we know it's your mom's fault, right? <laughs> oh my Beca God. Because of her wreckage she had caused, right? Right. But to like make the amends real and have to explain. And you know, with that side of the family, it's really hard because they, they have a lot of blame going on on that side of the family. So the amends, like I did it to the best of, uh, my capability, right? And I owned up to what I did. And uh, with the dad's side of the family, it, it was really simple. They're really, they drink, you know, but they're very spiritual people. They're big into their Catholicism and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like a same uh, principles to live by, right? Right, and yeah. They, they believe yeah, anything in forgiveness. Yeah, like that, the golden and, rule, yeah. Right, and, uh, you know, I have cousins, we're all within four years apart. And, you know, they may or may not be drinking like I was drinking. And they're just, they're happy they have an example now. That's really cool. Yeah. So it was, it was almost like you had to do some honesty. Like, it would have been easy for you to get away with being like, oh, yes, it was her fault. Totally mom's fault. Yeah, look what she did to me. You know, yeah. so it would have been, you could have done that, but you chose the honest way yeah. out of it. Add to the pile of mommy issues, you know. It's yeah. her fault. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. But you took, you, I mean, you took the big word out. I'm sure she's super proud of you for doing that because yeah. that, that's probably a big step. Jenna, what about you? When you when you came in, did you have some wreckage with your family? Um, I did. When I first got sober, I did not speak to my mom for like the first four months I was sober. I Because she's in her disease still. Oh, and I just, okay. 
I, there's nothing I could do to help her and like I just could not stand watching her just do all this stuff to her and my brother and like I'm the oldest out of three kids so and my brother's only eight and then I have a younger sister who's also in a 12-step program who's uh 20 she'll be 21 in April uh-huh. um but I think that was my favorite amends because I finally Your sister? no my mom Your mom okay yeah my mom she uh I I had slowly started working my way back into her life. Like I started going there once a month and then that slowly turned into like once every couple weeks and then it turned into once a week. And now I go over there every couple of days. But um, I went over there one day and she was walking her dog and she has carpal tunnel. So I asked her if she wanted my help walking her big, huge pit bull Rhodesian Ridgeback mixed dog with her like broken little Right. So I asked her if she wanted me to help. So I I went and I walked the dog with her and I just told her, like, look, I want to talk to you about something. And she was like, "Okay, like, what's going on? And I was like, look, I I know that I blamed you for a lot of the things that happened to me. And like because we used to use together like she was like my like one of my drug dealers. Wow. Yeah. No, I know a lot of people like that. This just wasn't my scene because my my dad got clean when I was. 11 years old and my mom is like the opposite of me I don't even know how I came out of her yeah like she's just such a normie yeah I mean doesn't even do anything (laughs) so that but so that that's a so that brings something else into it It, did she have a I wonder if she has a lot of guilt for for using with you um she might but I mean like all I could do is take ownership for my part and I just told her like look I'm sorry that I blamed you for all these things and like I manipulated you I lied to you and I stole from you and like I don't want to be that person anymore. Like I didn't treat you like a daughter treats her mother. And like, I just want to know if there's anything I can do to like repair what little relationship we have left. And my first thought when I was going to make amends to her was she's going to be spiteful and be like, Oh, well you could start by giving me this. You could start by giving me that right? because she's like that (laughs) sometimes. But to my surprise, she was totally open and willing to like, be like a mom to me in that moment she was like you know like I love you and you'll always be my daughter and like I do want a relationship with you it's not going to be like the hamburger helper cupcake like cookie cutter mother that you've always wanted but like I'm your mother and like I'm willing to do anything to like repair repair what needs to be repaired and now we have like we have like this weird mother-daughter relationship where it's like kind of more mature and more adult rather than like she's my mom and I'm her baby it's more like She's kind of like an older sister-ish kind of, but but she, she is, is your mom. Yeah, she and is she's my mother. All you got, and that's it's it's, it's yeah. it is what it is. That's she, a good relationship. Yeah, she's not perfect, but like with that came a lot of acceptance. You know, I had to accept that she was never going to be the mom that I wanted or craved when I was growing up. She was never going to be that. That just wasn't her. Like growing up, she was in her disease. Her and my dad both like that they did the best they could with what they were given and like I have to accept that yeah I didn't have the childhood I had I wanted to have or like everyone else but like you know like they love me and I love them you know a lot of people would would just ride that resentment out to the bitter end oh I did you didn't do that (laughs) well no because I mean you're sober now and you're not 50 still angry at it you know what I mean (laughs) like so you you've got that going for you but you so that was one of your main resentments is I used because of this and you didn't do that right. Yeah, it was mainly my parents. Like they were just so in their disease growing up. And like I stopped to make amends to my dad. But uh, my sponsor has told me that I should lay off of that until I moved out, which I did recently. I moved out, but she wanted me to lay off that until I was able to change my behavior instead of like just saying like, oh, you know, I want to make our relationship better and still being like 
a crabby, bratty daughter living right. at home still. So when you could act on it, when you yeah. could do more of a living yeah. amends, that's great. I mean, that's great that you take the advice of your sponsor. It's like it's another. It's a, just another example of how like young people in recovery. Um, are almost like more evolved people. And I hate, to, I hate to see all this stuff that they post on the internet, especially on Facebook, about how 12-step programs don't work and it's a cult and whatever. I mean, if it's a cult, I've never seen people so happy in a cult. You know, <laughs> if it's a cult, if it's a cult where people aren't going to get angry and defensive when you call it a cult. You I'm know? a cult member and I'm proud. So. Good. That's so awesome. So another thing, another thing that I think affects young people in recovery is that they're always on their phones. No, I'm kidding. I just say that because Andrew's sitting there on his phone. No, another thing I think about young people in recovery is I personally had this when I was younger and first getting clean and sober is, oh, no, what about this one big event that's going to happen? Reservations, basically. So I just want to ask, talk, touch on reservations a little bit for each of you. Did you have any reservations? Andrew? Um, yeah, Andrew. What's the reservation? Let's not talk about that. No, tell her the reservation. No, come on. Let's talk about it. Okay. So, recently, I was watching Iron Man. And um, I basically figured if I could drink with Robert Downey Jr. and Shia LaBeouf at the same time, I would. Oh, so it's kind of like couples where they have a green light. It's like, okay, we're together, but if I ever see that chick, then I can, you know, it's like that. But so you decided if you could do that. It, it, it wasn't serious. It was more of a joke. Um, I, I was in rehab with Robert Downey Jr. I don't think he'd be fun to use with. Really? And I really, yeah, so I, I can personally kill that, kill that for you. Because he's very much a loner and dirty and doesn't like to use with people. And also, he's not hes not cool. When he's you are talking some shit on the radio <laughs> right now, dude. <laughs> yeah. He's a great person when he's clean and sober, though. Shia LaBeouf, don't know. Have no idea. But I, I think that I think we're half the way there so that you can kill, you can kill that. But is that still a reservation? It's well, not. How did this come to you? <laughs> you're just watching Iron Man and you're like, you know what? You know, he's a really good looking guy. And, you know, I. I yeah. I don't switch hit, but he's he just seems like a really fun guy to hang out with. And How tall do you think he is? I think he's five foot nine. He's five four. He's five four? <laughs> Never mind, I don't have any reservations. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> So that's actually that was actually a real reservation because I you know what I I think like okay if I could go back in time and shoot dope with Billie Holiday I would do it but you know what Same. that's never really yeah me too but that's never gonna happen so I can I can pretty much say you know I kill that is that was it was that your real reservation that was kind of a fake one more of a reservation is watching Wolf of Wall Street I I don't know what it's about movies and reservations. that fucking movie dude oh my Wayless, god man. I know. You, I can't even tell you how resentful I am that I missed the Quaalude bus. It's like I got you sober when I was seventeen, dude. When he's on the boat and he's yelling, "I'm not gonna die sober, get the cocaine." I like felt that for a second there. I, I know, I understand that. <laughs> we saw we we uh, interviewed Asif Kapadia, who directed the movie Amy about Amy Winehouse. And there's a part in that documentary where she's just getting all of her success and she just wins a Grammy and she sits on and her oldest childhood friend runs up to give her a hug and Amy Winehouse just goes, it's just not as good without drugs. And I was like, oh, I get that. I get that. <laughs> Anhedonia. God, because it's like people think when addicts get bummed out or depressed, they're going to want to use. But it's also when you get really excited. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, this is great. It'd be better with that, you know, which is sad. But so that that was your... Is that it for your reservations? 
Quaaludes and Oxy 80s. Right, if they bring back Quaaludes. <laughs> I know. I just wanted to drive a Lamborghini and smash it and think it was perfect until I walked out in the morning. That was a, you know, that was a hilarious scene. And I have to say, like, I think he should have won an Oscar for that. My favorite part was when he's talking on the phone and he goes, so in the, and all of a sudden he just turns. The <laughs> I thought that that was actually, that was hilarious. But I, I Quaaludes are done for us. And then that's the other thing. My dad got clean and sober when I was 11. And so I used to get all these great stories out of him. Apparently there was something very similar to a Quaalude called a soper. And he got, he was in bed with a girl and got up and basically went to the bathroom as if he was in a urinal. But there's her in the bed. It was, that's how deep those were. But wow. they don't make them anymore. Thank God. And I always like to say, when I got to the party, the party was over. I've seen people do that <laughs> kind of stuff on ketamine before. Yeah. 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 That kind of a weird thing where, yeah, you tell they think they're dancing, but they're not. Our friend was like, <laughs> tried to urinate in a bird bath and then flushed the bird bath. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Just in a whole nother world. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, okay. So, Caitlin, what about reservations? Um... I don't really have any. The only one I could actually. But did you when you got sober? I mean, was there one where you're like, I don't, but I want to do that loaded. Um, honestly, not when I was sober. Me and my dad one time we were talking, and you know the whole like, oh, the world's gonna end thing. Yeah. Me and him decided that we were just gonna sit on top of the roof with our beer and like smoke some weed. If the world ends. If the world ends, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna enjoy our last few seconds by doing that. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> Justin, what about what about you for reservations? Did you have any? You know, I you... had the funny joke ones when I first got sober, like zombie apocalypse, right? the chance to do coke with Shia LaBeouf. Right. Um, and then I got oh, into yeah. a point in sobriety where I was learning to have fun again, uh-huh. you know? And I was like, how can I have fun without the stuff I used to do, right? Yeah. And I would go to, like, dances and events. And I'd be like, this is so cool. It would be so much cooler with ecstasy. Right. right? <laughs> but it's like... The longer it went on, the more the reservations kind of disappeared. And I thought I actually didn't have any until, like, I started having to go through different emotional things that I never went through sober before. And I was like, why does a drink sound good all of a sudden right now again, you know? Right. So staying away from that, like, it was like a reservation, like, that was, like, subconscious that I, like, I didn't even know about. And then, um, what was the other one that fucking, uh, hmm. Oh, that was it. So... So then these you get past these things, right? Uh-huh. And the longer for me that I, I stay clean and sober, the more involved with, like, spite it becomes. Like, I'm not going to use during the zombie apocalypse because if that happens, I'm not going to want to give up my time, you know? So it's yeah. like, spite gets involved in a healthy way, kind of, that, right? No, that is yeah. a healthy way. I know a lot of old-timers who are like, my ego won't let me get drunk because right. there's no way I'm coming back in here and being right. a newcomer. <laughs> you know, these women with, like, I know a woman with 38 years who said that. She's like, because there's no way I but, would come back in here and say I had 30 days like you to this poor newcomer guy. He's like, thanks. Yeah, but then on, like, the flip side of it, like, that subconscious thing hits when I have to go through something I've never gone through sober and I'm just like Ugh. yeah you know? and it's hard yeah what about you Jenna uh, any did you have any reservations when you got sober and do you reservations um you know like I went through a lot when I first got sober like I had to deal uh, I got to be there for my sister when she was going through her heroin overdoses like for the first six months of my sobriety, once a month, like clockwork, I would have to take her to the OR, to the ER and like drive her to the hospital and call ambulances to pick her up because she was ODing every time. And um, 
I feel like if I can stay sober through that, like watching pretty much like over and over again, watching my little sister almost die. Like, I feel like there's no reason for me to ever want to drink or use again. Right. I know. I know some people like who have this reservation, like, for example, like, oh, but I want a glass of champagne at my wedding. That was definitely a big thing for me, too. And I brought it up with my sponsor and she was like, are you even in a relationship? Exactly. I know when I said that, like, yeah, people always bring up. I thought you just said you never wanted to get married. I was like, oh, yeah, I did say that. Like, who do you want to marry? I'm like, oh, I couldn't ever marry anybody. (laughs) I don't you know. Yeah, I get it. It's it's just like you fancy the idea of it kind of. Well, I mean, I don't know. I I try really hard not to think about things like that just because, like, any reason for me is an excuse to, like, drink or use. Like, oh, it's Tuesday. Like, you know, I got an A on my test. Like, I should, I I deserve this beer. But, like, really, I don't. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the whole taking a trip, not taking a trip. Yeah, exactly. No, it's interesting because my dad and I used to have this thing where he was like, okay, if the world's going to end tomorrow. We're going to get a pile of cocaine and a pile of heroin and a bottle of Jack Daniels. And that was our thing. And uh, when he was on his deathbed, we were we were talking about it. And I said, so what about that that thing? If we're going to die tomorrow, if the world you know is going to end tomorrow. And he said, I don't want to cross over on anything. I like I want to go sober. And that had a huge impact on me. Wow. He was obviously starting to connect to his higher power because he was kind of leaving us. And that was his feeling that he connected to. And that was like. That had a huge impact on me that he didn't want to cross over like that, you know, and now I kind of think and now I kind of think about it. That was my big thing. And I was going to do it with him. And now I can't, you know, now I just, <laughs> like now he'd be looking at me going, oh, really? <laughs> you know, like I decided to do it clean and you're going to do that. So I, I really feel like I could because of that. So we've got reservations. We've got relationships out of the way. Um, you guys all have sponsors, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What has been the biggest obstacle that's happened since you've been clean and sober that you've had to work through? Starting with Andrew. The biggest obstacle. Um, I haven't really had any huge obstacles. Um, I had to go through a sponsor change recently. Oh, that's hard because you know what? That's like, did you have to break up with the sponsor kind of? Or yeah, the it did feel like a breakup, surprisingly. It was Look, like, you I, know I love what? you, but it's on me. And God, I, <laughs> I give you so much props for that because I literally, because the way I am in, like, I've always been like this in relationships. I don't know how to break up with somebody. I don't want to do it. It's just creepy. So I just act batshit crazy till they leave. Mm-hmm. That's like my MO. I'll just go so insane that they're, until they finally leave. And I'm like, whew. So I kind of did that with a sponsor. It's like I could, I didn't have what it takes to go, you know what? You're really not working out for me. And I ended up staying with her and I ended up loaded because I just, you know what I mean? You got to, you got to have the right sponsor. So I really commend you for that. So you had to kind of break up with a sponsor. Yeah. He was, um, he was a really intelligent guy mm-hmm. and, um, he spent a lot of his personal time, um, I can keep on pointing fingers at him, but really, it just wasn't the right fit. He it was, wasn't the right he, fit. He was really busy with his things, and he was getting his master's degree and this and that. And his kind of too busy. And yeah, for, yeah, and you needed somebody to spend more time with it, you. It was really good for both of us. Okay. I feel like I'm just talking about breakups on this show. Caitlin, what about you? What's the biggest obstacle that you've had to overcome? Um, breakups, right? So, but pretty much what we talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was. Breakups are always just a hard thing for me. That's why I avoided I avoid them mm-hmm. a lot of the times. Uh, I was in a five year relationship. Ooh, it was a constant breakup. Yeah, uh, it was a constant breakup, and yeah, um, so and then that one I had I had to cut off. 
Uh, so in recovery, uh, definitely breakups were the hardest thing for me. And, you know, talk, I've gone through three sponsors. Um, my second sponsor was like my main one who really got me through the steps. And, you know, she had to <laughs> listen to me every single day. Just be like, I don't want to feel this anyway. Go help somebody. You know, right. what are you doing for yourself? And I'm like, Ugh. So basically telling you to get out of yourself. Yeah. And that's right. Okay. Yeah. Justin, what about you? Uh, is, ha- there, is there anything that's been... Yeah, I had a pretty crazy first year. Uh, my cousin Matthew, he was diagnosed with leukemia at 18 years old. And oh. by the time he was 20... He was in his second round of chemotherapy, and he couldn't stop shooting heroin. And oh my God. Uh, what ended up happening is the chemotherapy wouldn't work because of the drugs he was using. So he passed away, and I only had like 30 days clean oh and sober at the time. And then, of course, there was the breakup, right? Uh-huh. Like, she left me. My life is over. Oh, no. That's not what happened, though. Right, yeah. And then, um, <laughs> obviously, I'm here. So, right. uh, but, you know, like, you know, the emotional, like, the emotional part of being clean and sober has definitely been, like, a crazy ride. It's definitely, like, um, there's this quote we use where it's, like, pain is the spiritual touchstone. And it's basically, like, I could seem grown up and spiritual when things are going really good in my life, right? But when I'm in pain and fear, how am I acting then, right? Oh, my. That's really cool. Yeah, I've never so heard that. I really like that. Like, that's cool. I could act all this all-knowing ego Justin stuff, but when I'm in pain, how am I acting towards, like, my friends and family then, you know? Right. That's where you know how how good of a program you're working. Right. Jenna, what about you? Have you had any major obstacles? I feel like the only obstacle that I had that I've that really like took a toll on me was when I had to take care of my sister when she was constantly overdosing. That was just like, I mean, my aunt who has like 30 plus years in the program, you know, when all this was happening, she because I only had like 30, 60, 90 days on all these times that this was happening. And like she just kept asking me, you know, this is what's going to have to happen. Can you stay sober? And I was every time without even hesitating. I didn't even have to think about it. I was just like, yes, I can do this. And she'd be like, "Okay, this is what needs to happen. This is what you need to do. And like it was just it was just so awesome that I could be like a big sister for once to my sister. And like that was just I, I would have never been able to do that had I still been in my disease. That's really cool that you're able to look at it from that point of view. Like you were able to be there for her and help her. And you're able to see that you're only able to do that because you're clean and sober. Yeah. I mean, like that was just it was so traumatic. Like like every single time we took her to the hospital, they would tell us like, you know, she could have died if you waited any longer. Like she almost died. She almost died. She almost died. And like that's my little sister. You know, I I, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done had she died. I don't even know. I don't even know what would have happened. And you were able to be there for her to help her through. Yeah. And now she knows by watching you as an example, she knows that she has a place to come. Yeah. And she's ready. She tells me she looks up to me, which was not the case ever growing (laughs) up ever. Um, So, I mean, like, it's it's really cool. You know, she's she's just had she just had four months clean and sober. too, And like, yeah, it's just, you know, I got to meet her sponsor on Saturday when we went to an event in Sacramento and like. I just looked at her and her and her sponsor and I just cried and I hugged her and her sponsor looks at her and she goes, see that she's crying because you're not dead. And I was just like, that was just, (laughs) it was just so true. Like you're here and you're sober and you're alive. Like that's like, we're miracles. People in the program, like we're supposed to be dead and we're alive. That's very true. And that's really big of you to be able to see that. Uh, So I want to end on this note. What 
is you, what is it that you would say to other young people who are struggling and they're using and they don't really know that there's another way of life or they don't think that they could do it or AA looks stupid or anything. You know what I mean? There's the way kids think. What, what would you say about that, Andrew? What are your words of advice and hope to so other young people? Putting myself in their perspective, putting myself in their shoes, I thought that when I got sober, I was just going to be hanging out with old people, drinking coffee and smoking cigars all the mm-hmm. time. And that was not the case. I had a lot of fun. I have had a lot of fun and I continue to have fun. And sometimes I do hang out with those people smoking cigars, but now I can like look at it from a different perspective. <laughs> um, right. I've had a lot more genuine fun, clean and sober than I have my whole life. No matter what drug I took, um, it always wear off. And this mm-hmm. fun, um, this group of people I can have fun with, like even at two this afternoon on a Wednesday, I can call Justin over and we can have a blast. Right. Um, getting sober is not boring and your life is not going to suck. There's still parties, there's still dances, and it's around the clock fun. And it's it's only boring if you make it boring. I agree. The hardest I've ever laughed has been either when I've been in treatment centers or I've been up too late or I mean, but <laughs> those gut laughs never, were never when I was using. I never laughed that hard. You know, like the hardest I laughed has been in recovery. Uh, Caitlin, what about what about you? Well, what do you say to other young people who are struggling, don't know if they can do it, don't know if they want it? Um, God. Uh, <laughs> you know, the the feelings in the beginning are rough. They are, but in the end, it's totally worth it. And being completely genuine with people for the first time in a long time is so rewarding. And pretty soon, like, you get to experience other people changing. And you were there through everything. And, it, you know, it can be such a powerful thing. And it creates even bigger bonds than you've ever had before. Right. Thank you. I totally get that. Justin, what about you? What do you have to say to young people struggling? They don't know if they want it. Uh, I would say if you have any, like, concerns, like, even the slightest one, do some research, you know? Like, don't think of uh, the stereotypical alcoholic or drug addict, like, what you think that physically looks like. Um, Do some research. See what it really means to be an alcoholic or a drug addict. You know, it's pretty simple. And uh, know that uh, you can be young. And like Andrew and Caitlin both said, the fun's not over, you know? I found a way to... uh, balance my new way of life with things I still love doing with like my art and music and stuff so like my life's not over just because I stopped like snorting sugar boogers and stuff you know like you know my life starting right my life is you know more fluid than it's ever been before so yeah cool and Jenna what about you uh something I was told when I first came in that really stuck with me was that um you know like we have choices today and that was something that I didn't have when I was out there. And I just felt like I was being forced to be like this empty, like vessel of a person. I didn't really have like, you know, my own thoughts, my own um, my own way of doing things. I kind of just did whatever I needed to do because I wanted to get drunk. So like that was what I was doing. But like, you know, like my life, like Justin said, my life's not over. Like I'm in college right now. Like I have I was working two jobs and I was killing myself. So I got rid of one of them, but <laughs> right. like, and that's coming from someone who couldn't even go to her one job that she had while she was out there. Like working more than 20 hours a week was death to me. And like, <laughs> like I, I'm just like this completely new person. And I get to, I get to know that person on a daily basis. And like, that's just, that's, that's something I just didn't want 
but when I was out there, but I also didn't have that. I didn't have like any sort of like uh, experience with that, but getting to know myself and like really just applying it to, to like being a member of society. Like it's just, it's, I, I love being me today. Like, that's so cool. And I think that's, that's just the greatest thing that I could have ever asked for. I think what's really cool. I've got so much respect for all of you guys. Cause you guys are all clean and sober. But you're not just going through the motions, you're working programs and you're spiritual people and you've changed and you know why and you're just in tune in touch with yourself. And I just think it's fucking awesome. They asked if we could cuss. I said well, only only when it comes natural <laughs> and I think it comes natural right then. Uh, we're going to end the show now. We're out of time. I want to thank you guys so much for coming in. Justin, you were saying that you still do one thing. You do your art. You do your band. Yep. So uh, we're going to end this show with Justin's band. It's called Know Your Enemy. If you would like to know more about Know Your Enemy, go to kyeband.bandcamp.com. They're also on Facebook. Okay, so right on, everybody check that out. Here's Know Your Enemy. Stay sober, everybody.
Breaking on, or will I crash under this heavy weight?